Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Altmed podcast series. With me today, as always, my co-host, Mitch Kurtz. Um, and we are delighted to have Dr. John Tay from PlantMed in the house. Welcome, John. Thanks very much, guys. Nice to meet you. Great to have Absolutely. you on. Um, before we jump into it, quick note, as always, to our um, trusty listeners. Um, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please um, hit like and subscribe. Share it with your friends, family. Um, we're just trying to get all of the information contained in this AltMed podcast series out there. So we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you've got any questions as well, jump on AltMed. You can flick us an email. Um, love to hear from you. But today it's all about uh, Dr. John Tay and PlantMed. So um, as we customarily do on this podcast series, we might get you to kick off with a bit of a, an introduction as to your practice, how you got into um, the medicinal cannabis space. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, I'm, I'm Dr. John Tay, uh, Medical Director of PlantMed Cannabis Connects in Brisbane. Um, I started working in the medical cannabis the space as soon as it was legalized at sort of the end of 2016, beginning of 17. But I actually um, got drawn into it by accident before that. Uh, in about 2015, a very close family friend, a young lady, 21-year-old girl called Nikki, uh, approached me and my wife. And um, I wasn't in the cannabis space at that time. I was aware of it and sort of looking and reading and studying, but I wasn't practicing because it wasn't legal. This young lady had a brain tumor, uh, a really quite aggressive one called GBM4. Uh, that means something to some people, glioblastoma, multiform. And um, very aggressive tumor, um, high mortality rate. This young lady found out on her 21st birthday, literally at a party. Uh, she had a headache and didn't, couldn't make it to her own party and ended up in hospital and surgery the next day. And Then she came down to see us and um, said, I don't know what to do. I've heard cannabis helps. Can you help me? So um, we said yes, um, my wife and I, and, and at that stage it was illegal. So we had to help her, you know, access things through what I like to call the green market um, or the illicit market. And I did also, as soon as it became possible, um, submitted some SASB applications through the government for her, which um, was a bit of a learning curve for me at that time. And, and they didn't get approved. So I was very disheartened. Wow. But we helped the young lady out. Yeah. And um she has passed away now, but she definitely uh, got more life and quality of life with her family before she before she passed. And really, um, she's still with us now, and um, she she spurs me on each day to uh, do what I do. Wow! And help people with cannabis medicines because I was just I was mortified really at the inability to get someone who's dying and in pain and suffering um, valuable medications which can assist her in living and also passing. Um, mm. So it really touched me. And, um, and then word of mouth, I don't know how people got my phone number initially, but they did. And I just started getting calls on my mobile. And um, so I started consulting just privately in a very small room, which I hired out the back of a pharmacy. Uh, and in those days, you know, it used to take two hours to fill out the application on paper which then had to be posted or faxed into the government, Queensland and federal. Wow. And then you might get a response back within a month or two. So it was a really tedious process and really not cost effective for a doctor. Mm. Um, but I was driven to do it. So I did. And um, I was working in the surgical field at the time. And in my spare time, I 
I did cannabis medicine and uh, that grew very, very quickly. And fast forward three or four years to now, um, Plant Med employs five doctors. Um, we've got a whole bunch of amazing admin staff and, uh, and a great location in Brisbane, just near the Royal Brisbane Hospital. And we see thousands of patients and um, are getting great results with, and getting people off a lot of their pharmaceutical medications and, and a lot of relief. Uh, and it's very common for patients to say to me, look, you know, I hope this, hope this works because it's my last hope. And I say to them, look, don't worry, everyone says that to me. And look, we help a lot of people. So uh, I'm just really happy and privileged and honoured to be in this space early and be able to help human beings access something which is their right, I believe, um, to look after their own health and prevent disease rather than just put a Band-Aid on top. So that brings us to now and my extremely busy life. Um, I was planning on retiring and growing some veggies in a way, you know, <laughs> taking a simple life because I'm really into permaculture and organic food and health. Mm. Um, but I kind of got dragged into this. <laughs> so now I'm here and I'm happy to be here. And I feel like um, at last I've found my, my specialty or calling in the medicine field. And I, I go to work and I'm glad to go to work. It's hard work, but I'm mm. glad to be here now. That's, that's, that's a, my little story. Yeah, an absolutely fascinating story, I, especially... I mean, the, the, the palliative aspects of that, and then you talked about how um, a lot of the, the sort of the consults that you're doing now um, are to some extent could be characterized as, as preventative. But I understand that um, maybe between the two, um, before you got into cannabis, you were working, um, assisting with surgery. So you saw a, a full range of diseases. Um, do you yeah. think that at least has given you that combined with the, the palliative case that you were sharing before has given you an insight into, um, you know, how at an early intervention, something like medicinal cannabis could potentially help people before, you know, they find themselves necessarily, um, you know, at hospital needing, needing surgery. hundred percent, you know, I worked in the surgical field for about 15 years and you see end-stage disease in surgery. You know, you see acute trauma and then you see end-stage disease. Um, surgery is very effective. It works. You chop bits out and you repair bits and it works for people. But mm. I always felt a little frustrated that, you know, I might be operating on someone who's 80 or 95 years old, you know, and like, why are we really doing this operation? Is it necessary? And I was good at my job, so I did it. But I always thought, you know, there's got to be another way. Mm. And now our current pharmaceutical-based conventional medicine, it really does look at just fixing up symptoms uh, and, and problems that have already occurred. Yeah. In our body, we've got the endocannabinoid system and it's the system that's been there from our birth and it's there and it's functioning till our death. It guides every stage and every system of our body, um, especially the immune and inflammatory systems. So supporting our body with cannabis medicines actually supports the regular ongoing maintenance and prevention of disease. Um, it keeps our body in balance. It's like if you run your car too hot for too long, it's going to break. So it's got to be run at the right temperature. And that's what the endocannabinoid system is about. Unfortunately, uh, the last hundred years, we've had a, a plant which we've used as a food, as a medicine, and also as a recreation and a spiritual tool for millennia. Uh, removed from us, removed from our pharmacopoeia. 
So in the 1920s in Australia, you could go to the, the, to the pharmacy and get a cannabis tincture that was also infused with opiates. It was a very effective pain relieving medicine, trust me. And all of a sudden that was taken away. Mm. Not only that, but food uh, and nutrition from, from the cannabis plants, very important and, and excellent nutrition for our bodies. So in the last 80 years, we've seen a massive in, influx and growth of diseases of the first world, modern disease, inflammatory disease, basically heart disease, ulcerative colitis, um, even all the way down to autism spectrum disorder. And we've seen a massive increase in this. And, you know, there's no proof or data, but it's coincidental that this is when we've had our cannabinoid source taken away from us. Mm. And so in, in the plant med clinic, you know, all of my doctors, I, I train them personally, and we always focus on endocannabinoid support as well. It's not just here's your cannabis oil, see you later. We look at the person's whole body as a system and we want to support especially the endocannabinoid system. And we find by doing that, we not only get relief from symptoms, but we can prevent progression of disease, which is a really big thing. And CBD and THC are well known. And whoever says there's not enough evidence hasn't been looking hard enough because it's well known that CBD and THC, rather than being damaging to the brain, as we've been told for a long time, are actually neuroprotective. So they protect the brain against aging. Uh, and they also, you know, CBD alone will increase serotonin in our bodies, which is giving us that feeling of happiness and, and satiety, completion, you know? So yeah, we, we have to look at this and we can, we can prevent disease. And, and I think although our system that we've currently got in Australia is good and it provides us with quality um, medicines, the fact that they can't be used as a first line is a little problem for me. Mm. And I think that people should be able to choose them as a first line. They should be able to choose them as a preventative medicine because there's no harm really done with them. And there's lots of benefits. Mm. It's not really a problem on the ground because most people, you know, have tried a medicine. So they're, they're able to access cannabis medicines through the legal system. It's all about um, having tried some conventional medicine. And that's the only real prerequisite that hasn't worked or has been intolerable due to side effects. And look, most people have had multiple medicines. So it's not a problem. And 99% of people can access cannabis medicines straight away without any problems. Those that can't, we can, we can work around that. Yeah, so I think it's really important that we do support our bodies um, mm. and make sure that we're looking after the most integral system of our, of our body, which is the endocannabinoid system. And it's something that was, we've been neglecting for a long time, just by accident and by legislation, I suppose, more than anything else. It's actually, curiously on that topic, we, we've been talking about um, the endocannabinoid system a lot on, on the podcast, but we actually haven't had it explained uh, like that, or even maybe you've got a, few, a bit more to provide regarding the interaction between phytocannabinoids and endocannabinoids by, mm. by a doctor. So it would be great for people that are listening to understand how that endocannabinoid system works a little, a little bit more from the, the plant interaction into our bodies. If, if you'd be able to explain that, we would love to hear that. Yeah, of course, that's no problem. So. Basically, the endocannabinoid system, it's a diffuse system. So don't imagine a set of tubes or wires that run through our body. It's a diffuse and ever-changing system. So wherever in our body we need attention, so if you've got epilepsy, you have seizures in your brain uh, in a certain region, 
your brain will express cannabis receptors in that region to help turn down those electrical signals. I'll try to explain it in, in common terms. Yeah. So whatever happens, we're trying to bring our system back into balance. If you have, say, arthritis of the knee, all the inflammatory cells and the bone cells and the tissue cells around your knee will express cannabis receptors because they need attention and stimulation by cannabinoids. In our bodies, um, we make cannabinoids. They're called endo, meaning inside, cannabinoids. And the two main ones are called anandamide and 2-AG. And anandamide comes from a word in Sanskrit meaning bliss because anandamide makes you happy. And those two molecules are the same shape as THC. So whenever we need to stimulate our, whenever we express a cannabis receptor, wherever it may be in our body, and it can be anywhere in all of our systems, um, then we'll on demand make our own cannabinoids. And we actually make them out of um, certain fats, omega-3 fats that everyone talks about so good for you. So fish oils, hemp seed oil, flax seed oil are all sources of omega-3. And in our, in our world, in our society, our omega-3 levels are very low. Um, we have about 20, maybe 15, 20% of what we should have in our bodies because of what we eat. So we need to change to eating good oils. And that then allows our body to make as many of these natural cannabinoids as possible. Plant cannabinoids can also stimulate this system. The THC directly stimulates those receptors. So they'll, the THC will come and wherever the receptors are, they'll bind in and they'll stimulate that receptor. And then that will then balance whatever system it's connected to. So if it's inflammation, it'll bring down inflammation. If it's something to do with the gut and gastric motility, it'll adjust that, whatever it may be. Depression and mental health, it'll increase your serotonin and dopamine release. So it con controls the whole of our bodies. So we add in THC from the outside as a plant cannabinoid, and wherever we're expressing those receptors, they'll be stimulated. That's why cannabis, we have one medicine, but it treats so many diseases because your body is intelligent and is expressing itself receptors in its areas of need. Did CBD is another really amazing main cannabinoid and it doesn't make you high, but it supports our endocannabinoid system more generally. So CBD itself doesn't bind into the system. It won't lock into a receptor and stimulate it. That's why you can't get high from it, but it will bind to the side of the receptors and change how they work. And it works in a myriad of other ways physiologically in our bodies, interacting with multiple systems. So it, as, as I mentioned before, it will increase your serotonin release, CBD alone. Um, CBD will increase the binding strength of your cannabis receptors, especially the CB2 receptors, which are associated with inflammation and immune response. That's why CBD is a great anti-inflammatory. And when we look at all the conventional drugs that we have, aspirin, steroids, opiates when we take them they work through interaction with our endocannabinoid system so in fact opiates when you add in thc there's a, an effect called the opiate sparing effect and it's called that because when you add thc in with the same dose of opiates you'll get a better pain relief or you can reduce your opiate level and have the same pain relief so they work synergistically together so in essence the endocannabinoid system is a system of balance and maintenance. So when you're 20 years old, 
your endocannabinoid system is generally at, at full speed. You can produce all of your, your natural cannabinoids that you need. You maintain your body. You don't have an, too much inflammation and you don't have any signs and symptoms of disease. As we live and as we eat and as we grow in this world, we encounter things like pollution. We encounter chemicals in our food, which will um, damage our, our gut bacteria and reduce our ability generally to make enough cannabinoids. And when we can't make enough anymore in our bodies, if that's the level where we're healthy, as it drops down and goes below that line of, of cannabinoid production of our own, that's when we'll start to get sick. That's when we'll start to get disease or dis-ease. So by improving our endocannabinoid system through diet, we can raise that up a little. And we may not be all the way there, but then if we add some plant cannabinoids, we can just pop over that line and then your disease is fixed or your symptoms go away because you're actually, your body is modulating itself to fix them. So that's the endocannabinoid system. It's about keeping all of our other systems in balance. And those systems include pain. They include inflammation and immune response. They include um, mental and emotional health and neuropsychiatric disease. They include gastric secretion and gastric motility. They include um, your reproductive system and control of menstruation and, and menopause. Uh, they, the endocannabinoid system guides everything. So as soon as we're born, once the two cells connect, our endocannabinoid system starts to grow. And as it grows, it directs our whole body's growth all the way up until we die. And when we die, it's over. But throughout that whole life, our endocannabinoid system is directing our, our bodies and our health. So mm. it's so important um, to maintain that support. And that's how, that's why we use these, these medicines. The plant has molecules in it, which are the same shape as the ones in our body, just like opiates. And that's how the medicine works. And that's how come it can work on all systems at once. So mm. yeah, multi-system disease uh, can be treated with one medication. It's really quite amazing. It's, it's fascinating because I've, I mean, the look on people's faces when I tell them that their body naturally produces cannabinoids is, um, is always priceless for me. But um, you talked about um, the introduction of um, cannabinoids from plants, so phytocannabinoids that, that would commonly be seen in medicine um, that people might need as they age, as, as, as they need it. Going to play a devil's advocate here because sometimes we have, um, I've, I've, you know, been told, are oh, you so sympathetic to integrative medicine and alternative medicine? You know, you run your podcast, all this sort of stuff. So let me put my Western medicine hat on here and just say, mm -hmm. for you know, inflammation, severe inflammation, we've got um, you know a whole lot of research into um, specifically targeted medications like monoclonal antibody um, that you know, operate at such that, that cellular level um, to prevent inflammation, we have statins that prevent cardiovascular disease and, and billions of dollars goes into clinical research. These are highly targeted um, drugs. Um, why should a patient opt for uh, medicinal cannabis when there's so much unknown about the, the state of the clinical research and, and not be put onto um, one of those drugs? I think the main reason is probably side effects. Um, mm. All conventional medications have usually have a list of side effects, some of which can be quite severe. 
for instance, if you use steroids for anti-inflammatory effect for a long term, you'll gain abdominal fat, your bones will thin, your hair will thin, uh, your teeth will thin, um, all of your collagen in your body will stretch, you get cardiovascular disease. So the long-term implications of steroid use are terrible. You know, it's going to shorten your life significantly. Mm. Um, I'm not against it in pharmaceutical medications. In fact, I'm integrated. You know, if someone comes into me and they're taking pharmaceutical medications, we don't stop them all and start cannabis. We introduce cannabis medicines and then reduce as required or as, as is possible. So if someone comes in with a lot of pain, they're on opiates, they're on gabapentin, they're on Lyrica, they're on osteopanadol, they're on ibuprofen. And that's not uncommon to have that plus many more in the same person. So all those drugs all have their own individual side effects, mm. which will then all add up and often make people feel quite terrible and have negative effects on their body. So we'll introduce medicinal cannabis and as we have symptom relief, we can start to reduce the opiates. We can start to reduce the um, anti-inflammatory drugs, which are notorious for giving people gastric ulceration and even peptic bleeding and, and in troubles with the stomach. So we can reduce, if not remove a lot of medications and that then reduces and removes a lot of harm from the side effects. So I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying that pharmaceutical medications aren't effective, they definitely are. In fact, steroids are probably a more efficient anti-inflammatory drug than CBD, no doubt. If you have an injection of um, steroids, you'll get an immediate effect, a very strong effect. But over time, that effect will weigh in and you'll need more steroids and then you'll start to get negative side effects. So I think the big thing is, once again, prevention of disease and making a choice to swap out of things that are causing you harm. If, if you're not going to come and see me as a, for a cannabis medicine consult, if the medicines are working for you and you haven't got any side effects. So yeah. if I give you, if you're a depressed person, if I give you an antidepressant and you feel happy and you don't have any side effects like loss of libido or weight gain or any of the other things that may occur with side of, with cannabis medicine, I mean, with antidepressant medications. Yeah. Yeah then why would you come and see me? You won't. So you don't need to and you won't come here. But the fact is, majority of people do suffer side effects. They're usually you know, less irritating than the disease they're trying to prevent, but they're often still quite a problem for the patient. And people don't want to take lots and lots of chemicals in their body. It makes them feel bad, essentially, mm, yep. in very broad terms. So if there's an option out there, people would like to try it. And I think it's our right to try it. It was uh, it was interesting for me to hear Andrew <laughs> take that line, but uh, I'm glad he did because that was a, a brilliant answer. I, I appreciate that especially. I'm just curious um, in, in you know all the indications that we're speaking about in your clinic in your experience. Where, what where do you find yourself sitting in terms of are there any particular niches that you specialize in um, treating? Yeah, I mean, I talk to a lot of people for a lot of different diseases, and we see lots of different things come through the clinic and they're often quite end stage. Pain is a big one, but what causes pain? Everything causes pain is the answer. You know, pain comes from ulcerative colitis, pain comes from arthritis, pain comes from previous motor vehicle accidents, pain comes, mental pain lockdown. is anxiety and depression. I, Mitch and I are currently experiencing lockdown pain actually here in Melbourne. <laughs> lockdown pain is a real thing. And, and when, I, when I talk to patients, the level of stress, anxiety and depression has definitely gone up. You know, I haven't got numbers for you on that, but 
I talk to people all day, every day. Yeah, I'm definitely going to need a. Uh, I'm, I'm going to need yeah. a prescription at the end of this interview if that's all we right. We can sort that out. I thought you were <laughs> yeah, anxiety about- is a big thing with lockdown, and it's a really big thing. And anxiety causes, you know, stress. And what is stress? Stress is cortisol and adrenaline release. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's fear in your body. That's telling you to run away or fight that lion. And if you live in a state of constant stress, you've got constant cortisol in your body. That's the same as taking steroids for your whole life get the same effects okay so yeah there's many things that come through the clinic door um i suppose i end up with a lot more of the more difficult things just by default um and i treat a lot of children um for developmental disorders like autism spectrum tourette's ocd adhd um and i treat a lot of cancer patients um both palliative and those wishing to do more than palliation through their cannabis treatment um, and everything in between. But I tend, I do have a little subspecialty, I suppose, in children and cancer um, and pain is the next biggest one after that. And then probably um, mental health. So anxiety and depression, insomnia. Well, that, that, um, that's quite an interesting one. You, I, I definitely, I don't know if we've had anyone on the podcast so far that that's sort of dealt with medicinal cannabis in the pediatric um, context. Can you perhaps talk us through, I'm sure there would be some people listening that would be, well, yeah, we, we hear a lot about, you know, my kid's a little bit anxious at school and things like that, but there seems to be quite a lot of hesitation around um, doctors prescribing to kids. Can you maybe just talk us through what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. You know, all of those group of diseases that I just mentioned, so autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, OCD, Tourette's, um, they're all mixed up and comorbid with each other, meaning you can have a bit of all of them at once mm. or all of one and none of the other. But the thing that's in common between all those things is lower than normal circulating endocannabinoids. So if we test children that have got a confirmed diagnosis of ASD, on average, their circulating natural cannabinoid level is lower. So this means that rather than being 20 or 30 before we start to have that endocannabinoid deficiency, you kind of already got one. So we need to support that. And and basic nutritional treatment um, of this endocannabinoid support is important. So we add in omega-3 oils, we look at gut health, um, but then we can look at plant medicines for them as well. because of once again, our prohibition society for the last hundred years, we have a lot of inbuilt societal fear around cannabis. But in fact, CBD in particular, both THC and CBD are extremely safe. You can't kill yourself, okay? CBD in particular is extremely safe. It's less dangerous than a cup of tea. It's less dangerous than a cup of coffee. It's certainly less dangerous than all the other pharmaceutical medications that we prescribe to children. So children will come into me on dexamphetamine, risperidone, which is an antipsychotic, maybe also diazepam and chuck in an antidepressant as well. And this is on a six-year-old child. Okay. I, I'm sorry but to jump, but this... that's just terrifying to me. I'm not trying yeah, to... That's normal. That's crazy. Like I, That I... is normal. Wow. <laughs> but we're happy to throw amphetamines and, and strong medications at these children we're reticent to give them something which is safe and at worst is going to do nothing 
yeah um, at best is really going to help that child so with with this children we always start with cbd and some people's fear is so extreme that they can't possibly comprehend a full plant medicine cbd with maybe one or two percent thc so we'll start with an isolate it's not my it's not my preferred thing to do but it's better than not doing anything and yeah. it alleviates the parents fear pretty soon the parents fear will diminish because i say hey it's not that hard i just give this kid some oil twice a day and he's better he's getting better this is great yeah. well maybe we should try that one you recommended the first time okay we'll try that so then i'll move to a full spectrum cbd so one with a very small amount of thc in not enough to make the child high or mm -hmm. have any psychoactive effect but that small amount of thc will once again get in there and simulate those receptors that are being expressed in that child. When you look at the where the yeah. receptors are expressed in the child, where are they expressed? They're expressed in the areas of the deeper brain that are associated with memory and associated with motion, emotion and associated with fear and anxiety. So anxiety is a big thing and fear is a big thing in these kids because that's, the, that's their issue. So by adding in CBD, we're having a myriad of effects. CBD increases endocannabinoid tone, as I mentioned. It, it keeps our natural cannabinoids, so anandamide in particular, in circulation for longer. And it does that by blocking an enzyme, which normally will break down that. Once we, once we secrete our anandamide or endocannabinoid, it's broken down by an enzyme. And CBD specifically blocks that enzyme and slows it down so that our natural cannabinoids circulate for longer. And we increase our serotonin with CBD as well. So we're getting more happiness and safety in the child. Um, we're getting stimulation of those receptors which are being expressed. And what are the end results? The end results are decreased anxiety, more ability to connect with yeah. family social and friends. Yeah. Social interaction is a main thing for autism. They don't have very good social interaction skills. And that's a physiological thing. It's based on their anxiety and fear about those situations. So if we can alleviate them, 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 then they're able to interact more and they're able to learn more and they have less developmental delay. So their school marks go up. Mm. They stop hitting and, and hurting their friends. They have more friends and they're in better social situation. And then in a very small um, number of cases in Australia to access more than just the CBD full spectrum for a child, we can access higher THC component medic containing medications. It involves getting a letter of support from another of the child specialists. So they're usually their neurologist or pediatrician or psychiatrist, specifically saying, look, I support the trial of THC in this child. Look, I've seen what's happened and I believe it's maybe of benefit. If that letter is received by me, I can then go ahead and access a stronger, higher THC containing medication, which has been shown to be um, effective, especially with Tourette's and OCD and ADHD. So um, higher ratios of THC have been shown to be effective there. And I've got on, on the ground success with extreme Tourette's patients. I work with a specialist in Brisbane, a psychiatrist who specializes in childhood Tourette's and she sends me her difficult patients and she, just trial one last year as an experiment. She, she found out about um, plant med and she rang me up and said, look, I don't know much about this. I'm interested. Uh, would, you be able, would you be able to take one of my patients? I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with him. And I said, yes, no worries. And we've developed a working relationship. 
And she's supportive of the use because she's actually seen firsthand as well these children improve. And, and Tourette's is a terrible disease, you know. Mm. It can be violent. It can be violent towards parents. It can be violent towards other people. They can be violent towards themselves. You know, people with Tourette's will run out into the road or try and jump off a balcony at the shopping centre when their mum's turned around because they've got Tourette's. You know, they haven't got control over those emotions. I'm curious so, on that one. I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely one of the more impulsive um, diseases that, that perhaps you'd be um, coming across in your practice. But I'm curious mm-hmm. about um, that issue of, of, you know, getting that letter from um, a secondary sort of pediatric um, treating doctor, whether that's a psychiatrist, um, in order to be approved to um, prescribe a higher mm-hmm. THC dominant product to a child. Are there any restrictions around, let's say you have a, yeah, somebody of, of school age, um, you know, uh, taking a THC dominant medication, does that interfere with their learning and development if it causes a psychoactive response? That's right. You know, you have to, you have to balance the good and the bad and all things, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the studies that have been done and, and everyone will tell you, oh, no, don't. THC in the developing brain, it's going to, it's no good. You could send them schizophrenic. Um, it's going to damage their brain. Then, you know, these kids have already got damaged brains. And yeah. um, if you don't interact socially with other people in your development, well, then that's a massive part of your development as a human. Yeah. If you are self-harming yourself and repetitively banging your head against the wall or punching yourself in the face, some of these children will actually give themselves black eyes from, you know, hitting themselves in the face over and over again. Um, If you can't go to school because of the extreme anxiety that it causes, you know, you're not going to develop. You will have developmental delay. Mm. So is a small and medically supervised amount of THC that is beneficial that helps you get back to school and stop hurting your mum and your friends and able to interact with people. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. You know, it's, Mm. it's the balance of good and bad. If you're all the studies that have been done that indicate um, THC are negative for the developing brain have used essentially self-medicating and illicit data. So it's not kids getting given 0.4 of a milliliter of a 10% THC product twice a day. It's children that are um, coming across street cannabis that are smoking recreationally, maybe mixing it with other um, um, recreational drugs like amphetamine and alcohol and and ecstasy and whatever. This This is what the studies are judged upon. So Really, because of the prohibition, we're at such a lack in certain areas of, of good studies. And, and yeah. people are doing that now. It, there was one um, in The Lancet a couple of years ago, you know, leading um, medical journal for those who are unfamiliar. Um, and it basically made the case that medicinal cannabis wasn't effective. You go through it and they're actually dealing with people self-medicating, illicit, you know, they're smoking without any concept of dosage or anything like this. And um, it was reported actually in across the Fairfax publications. And I contacted the, the science editor to just say, are you aware that this is not actually um, supervised medicinal dosed studies? Um, and just got a bit it's of an a- obs- It's an observational data study, you know. Exactly. I, I could have done, um, 
that kind of a study at some of the parties that I used to go to in my early 20s. But anyway. <laughs> you did, um, actually. <laughs> That's probably where they got the data from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a very interesting question just following on from that, actually, um, talking about how CBD and THC are interacting independ- in, in different ways. What are your thoughts, and maybe it'd be great to explain this again from the doctor's perspective, around the entourage effect? Would Would you get the same response um, if somebody is administered CBD isolate and THC isolate separately versus full spectrum, broad spectrum, these kinds of things. What's your take on that? In the clinic, 100% yes. Full spectrum plants have a better response in my experience. Now, this is a really controversial topic. Um, And when you go to look at the research, there's none there. Okay, there's none that's really been done effectively comparing isolates and full spectrum plant um, plants within the same caliber. They just haven't been done. The entourage effect is a real thing. Uh, The entourage effect, for those who don't know, is in the cannabis plant, we have over 144 so far um, isolated cannabinoids. So there's CBD and there's THC, and then there's another 140 plus. Okay, we have over 400 um terpenes so terpenes are the things that give uh, cannabis its lovely smell they give flowers and fruits their smell and an interesting aside on terpenes is that in the cannabis plant it may have any of the terpenes that are found on the planet so somehow evolutionarily it's collected terpenes so terpenes have an effect on their own physiologically everyone knows about uh, linalool or lavender is the common name Linalool is the terpene in lavender that it smells like lavender. And everyone associates lavender with being calm, right? And the reason is because linalool is a calming terpene. It has calming effects on your physiology. Pine trees, Norska Fresh. When you walk through a pine forest and you have a big inhale, you feel invigorated, you feel energized. Same with the terpene when you find it in the cannabis plant. Pinene is often found in sativa-based plants. Myrcene. Myrcene is... Um, the main cannabinoid that gives muscle relaxation and the couch lock effect where you, where you just feel so relaxed that you have to sit down. Myrcene is found in mangoes. And another little aside is if you have a mango half an hour before you take some THC, you'll get a stronger THC effect. And that's because of the interaction between myrcene and your THC in your body. So the entourage effect is the combination of all these things together. Uh, being more effective than any isolated. So yes, we can isolate CBD. We can isolate any terpene. We can isolate anything chemically and use that as a medicine. But generally on the ground, in reality, I've found that whole plant medicines are much more effective. They're much more effective for anxiety. They're much more effective for sleep. They're much more effective for pain than an isolated compound. So um, I'd love to be in the position if I wasn't so busy to do some studies on this, and I'm sure we'd get the results would be validated um, for what we see on the ground clinically. And at Plant Med, we're big believers here in the entourage effect and whole plant medicine. We do use isolates. Isolates have their place. So if you're a bus driver, if you're working at the mines, you can't take THC because you can't make, keep your job. You won't. They'll fire you. You know, um, in situations where you may be floridly schizophrenic. It would be very unwise for me to prescribe THC in any significant amount. And I would start with an isolate there in that situation as well. And in in places of 
patient fear. So there's a lot of societal fear as we've been talking about. And some patients will, will just, the, the, the word THC will send them into anxiety. So we can't use that in that patient. We'll start with an isolate there. So isolates have their place, but they tend not to be as effective as whole plant medicines. Or That's because of the entourage effect. That's yeah. That's such a great uh, description. Thank you for that. I, I think the, um, you know, people talk about the entourage effect like it's some mystical cannabis kind of uh, thing. Yeah. But it, it, forgive me. It, correct me if I'm wrong. But this is not a new concept in, in terms of synergistic uh, pharmacy, is it? In not at all. Of, not yeah. at all. So um, you got black pepper on your table at home, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're out actually at the minute, but <laughs> normally you would have. Well, well, black pepper is high in beta caryophylline. Yeah. Beta caryophylline is a terpene associated with reduction, reduced inflammation and pain, and it's also associated with increased absorption of other compounds. So, turmeric is a classic example. Yeah. Um, pepper and piperin and, and beta caryophylline found in there will help absorption of turmeric into your body. So, there's an interaction. And just thinking of turmeric itself. Everyone thinks about, well, I don't know if everyone thinks about the same way as I do, but in turmeric, it's not just curcumin. That's not the only thing in turmeric. There's multiple curcuminoids, same as there are multiple cannabinoids. And isolated curcumin has once again been shown to be less effective than if you take all uh, a concentrate of that plant rather than an, an isolate. So eating the whole turmeric root rather than just taking out curcumin one. And there's multiple curcuminoids. So that's an entourage effect. So the entourage effect is, it's just physiology. It's, um, it's something that happens in our bodies and it's not specific to cannabis. Cannabis just happens to have a lot of molecules in it. So it has a great entourage effect. It's, it's also one thing that um, interests me is just the fact that there's this dichotomy between major and minor cannabinoids. Um, and the fact that a lot of um, you know people, when they talk about what medicinal cannabis products they're taking, or I'm taking THC or I'm taking a CBD or a one-to-one, um, but there's often little discussion about minor cannabinoids. And just hearing you talking earlier about your um, or your great description and overview of the endocannabinoid system, I mean, I can't help but think there's no way that our endocannabinoid system can only be geared towards those major cannabinoids, which are found in in greater amounts in plant medicine. Uh-huh. So all those minor cannabinoids, the way that they must all interact with our ECS, do you have any comments about that? Yeah, I mean, people often come in to me and they say, hey, hey, doctor, have you ever heard about THCV or CBN or any of the minor cannabinoids? And I say, yes, I have heard about them. And, you know, studies have been done with higher levels of minor cannabinoids. So THCV is very popular at the moment because it's, been shown to help control blood sugar for diabetic patients. So I've diabetic patients out, what about this THCV thing? You know, I need it. And um, that's all well and good, but you don't just need that THCV. You need a plant medicine high in THCV. So yeah. some plant medicines have, some cannabis medicines won't have any of that. Some will have more of that. So that's the skill of a, a clinician is to know the medicines that are available. and and we've got multiple medicines available in Australia. Some work really well on, say, blood sugar reduction, but it's not something we would rely on. So I say monitor your blood sugar in that case. So yeah. it's not about getting that specific cannabinoid because that's the one that's going to fix you. That one's going to suppress my appetite. That one's going to mm, help me lose weight. 
It's about choosing applied medicine that has got a broad spectrum of, of cannabinoids and terpenes. And the skill and artistry of, of the medicine is then to help the patient select ones which are going to be more useful for them. So yeah. the companies that produce our medicines will provide us with terpene profiles most of the time and sometimes minor cannabinoids, but often it's just the THC and CBD. So on the ground, when you use these medicines daily, you'll start to realize that, okay, medicine A, although it's got exactly the same amount of THC and CBD as medicine B, medicine A might be better for neuropathic pain and medicine B might be better for people with pain of an anxiety component because it has a less anxiety created. And of course, you've got to balance that with your CBD. Mm. So yeah, I don't think there's, I think it's important to know about minor cannabinoids. And I told, tell this to my doctors as well, please be aware, look at the terpene profiles, look at the cannabinoid profiles, be aware of the medicine. Why is a sativa a sativa as opposed to an indica? Okay, and that's another controversial topic in cannabis medicine. Yeah, I can There's see no Mitch's eyes lit up, man. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we, we're going to have to leave that one for maybe a follow-up podcast because that's a whole, <laughs> There's a lot that's in a whole that kettle one. fish. Yeah. But yeah, so don't don't get hung up on isolated anything. You know, the entourage effect, in, in my opinion, you know, yeah. um, we want a combination effect. And it's like with supplements as well, I have a, we have a way of assessing the endocannabinoid system and a list of supplements that are, and dietary, sort of minor dietary changes that will support that system. If you do one of those things, if you take a fish oil and that's it, you're probably not going to get an effect. If you add in a bit of turmeric by itself, you're probably not going to get an effect. But when you look at all of the nutritional support, look at your gut health, look at the important supplementation and use them all in conjunction with your CBD and THC, then you get a great effect. So there's a difference between... That's an entourage effect, I suppose, isn't it? We're making yeah. our own entourage effect there. So it's... It's not good to put all your eggs in one basket. I think, you know, if there's anything that's supporting you, you should use it. And that goes for pharmaceutical medications as well. Yeah. Um, uh, there's been so much value in this conversation already for a lot of the listeners, especially prospective or current patients. I do want to just get to a couple of things that we see on your background there um, before we close off this, this incredibly informative chat. Um, plant med, first off, I think, um, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was the education. Obviously you were saying you've got another five doctors at the clinic or five doctors, including yourself, if I remember, but, um, the, how does a new doctor coming along, uh, become educated about medicinal cannabis and maybe give us some insights into how you do it at, at the plant med clinic? Yeah, well, you know, um, I'll personally train each doctor as they come because a good doctor is hard to find, trust me. Um, an, an understanding doctor is hard to find and someone that's yeah. got the right skill set. It's Everyone thinks it's all easy to be a cannabis doctor. It's not quite that easy and it doesn't suit the majority of doctors. Um, so that's an important thing. So I, I really treasure my doctors and I'll, I'll train them personally to make sure they understand. A really good resource is the Australian Cannabis Summit. So it's australiancannabissummit.com. And that's something which plant med in conjunction with um, industry leaders and producers and, and experts um, put on as an online conference each year. And we've archived all the videos there and there's hours and hours of educational content for free. So um, we have experts from overseas in the medical field, experts in the producing field, the extraction field, we cover all areas. And um, that's a great resource to start for patients or 
clinicians and it's free and you just pop in your email and you can access all that information you can get a link going for that actually yeah please do you know put it underneath this podcast it's just australiancannabissummit.com and then um for people that peak have their interest peak clinicians that have their interest peaked by that um up to my left is um health cert you can see health cert is a is a professional educational um, body for general practitioners in Australia and worldwide. And I've recently uh, helped um, compile a three-part education course uh, specifically on medicinal cannabis. And it takes you from the basics all the way through to dealing with more controversial, or not controversial, more complicated things like the autism and childhood diseases, neuropsychiatric diseases, complicated inflammatory disease, um, so that's a professional course, which is um, CME, Continuing Medical Education Accredited. So by doing that course, you get, uh, I think you get 30 credit points towards your yearly um, education. As a doctor, you have to confirm that you're continuing to educate yourself. Um, so that's a, a great course, um, which I've, I, I support. Um, and it's an excellent, excellent course. And down to this side, wherever it is, this side is um, Australian New Zealand College of Cannabis Practitioners. So that's a, a fledgling society, which myself and um, other medical doctors in Australia have recently created just this year. And um, it's a place for us to share ideas, to talk. And we have a forum there for members uh, where you can ask a question and everyone is free to answer it. We do uh, a monthly grand rounds where we cover a case study. One of the doctors in the, in the community will present a case study. It might be a success or it might be a failure and we'll discuss that. And we go through some sort of recent um, study or article, which is which one of the doctors will run through. And, um, and we're also gonna be putting online a, a shorter course, just a two hour sort of thing that will give people the basics of cannabis as a prescriber, how to be safe and how to be effective. So, there's three amazing resources uh, to, to use. And um, there's a million, a million things you can find on the internet, but these are sort of more concentrated and um, easily, easily digested things. Brilliant. So at, at well, this I point think... in Australia, I just one more little point there. At this point in Australia, um, any doctor can prescribe medicinal cannabis, but it's not, it's not uh, a mandated thing. So the doctor has to self-educate. And that's, um, that's probably one of the big hurdling, hurdles in our way for medicinal cannabis is, is getting more and more doctors online um, prescribing these medicines. But the numbers are increasing. And as more doctors um, take referrals and write referral letters back to people that are referred to them, those new doctors will then go, hey, that patient, I haven't been able to fix them. Suddenly they're fixed. Maybe there's something in this. And they didn't go crazy. I might send another one or I might try it myself. And... Um, that's the aim of the college is to bring this into the mainstream medical community to make it normal for people to go to their GP and say, Hey, you know, I've tried these things. Is there anything else? I've heard cannabis works. And at the moment you might get a very negative response from your GP or you might get a or ambivalent response or a positive response where they'll treat you, or at least refer you on to someone who will treat you. So um, that's the big hurdle for us in Australia is to, it's a numbers game, you know. There's only a certain amount of doctors in Australia willing to prescribe, but there's a lot more people uh, wanting to benefit from these medicines. It's brilliant, and I, I think um, that that probably 
there's been so much amazing stuff. I can't wait to, to kind of release this one because there's going to be a lot of people that get a lot out of this particular podcast. I already know um, after doing quite a few now. Um, I think we'll finish on, uh, we usually ask, you know, time to wreck uh, before in the market, but I don't think that's appropriate for this chat. We actually have a new little bit uh, where we're taking questions from viewers and listeners. And there's one who I believe might actually know you, this, this listener, and um, he's got a question. I'd love to get your response if possible. The uh, question is, eventually there will be a more user-friendly method of consumption of cannabis besides oils on the market. As you're aware, from young to old people, they're ditching their pharma meds for cannabis. Oils being a harder method of consumption due to small syringes and tiny number of holding uh, sublingually that may turn them off cannabis, even though they find it helps with their conditions. The question here is what cannabis products do you see coming online in the future to help cater to make it more user-friendly? So, you know, pens, edibles, gummies, dermals, topicals, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, the big one that's already happening and is really taking up and the only thing in the barrier in the way is slightly more expensive because of production costs is, is encapsulation or soft gel encapsulation where we let, pay, pay, uh, producers are literally just putting their oils into, into soft gel capsules. So our society is very, very comfortable with taking pills. We love it. And more pills, the better. You know, you can get your pills all put into little day-to-day packets by your pharmacist and you just pop that one and eat that for the day. So um, capsules and soft gels are, are something which are already entering the market. Uh, and the only barrier is the cost. They're a little more expensive. But some people can't. Uh, that The caller was right. Some people haven't got the manual dexterity to use those little syringes or the droppers or that their hands are too shaky or they're too gnarled from, you know, arthritis. So they just haven't got that dexterity or strength. Even to open up the bottle may be difficult for some people. So that's already happening and that's number one. Uh, I've seen some very interesting tablet formulations that have been sent to me that aren't yet available but will be available supposedly within six to 12 months uh, with slow-release medications. So another thing with medication with oils is that twice to three times a day is often necessary. And if you're inhaling cannabis and relying on that as your route of medication, you would need to be medicating, say, six or more times a day to cover a 24-hour period. So slow-release tablets are a thing which are on the horizon and also um, topical patches, so dermal patches, um, which are designed to be slow-release. They're already available overseas and um, there's only a matter of time before they get into our our country. Um, There's sprays also, so... um, oral sprays, buccal sprays. So you get a great absorption through the mouth quickly without it going through your liver first, through your gastrointestinal tract. They are available already and they have um, a quicker effect. A very You can keep them in your handbag like a mint, breath mint. And, um, and they're very effective. Though at this stage, just a little bit more expensive. So because of the expense and it's non-subsidized by the government, um, we tend to rely on oils a lot at the moment in Australia because of cost for patients. So if, if a patient can save 20 or 40% on cost, the choice is easy and they'll worry about the fiddling later. Other things which will be coming our way are vaginal troches, uh, rectal suppositories, um, dermal creams for topical applications. So THC and CBD creams. I've been talking to a few producers who are looking at that area of the market, there's a, a glaring hole in the market there, 
massive hole in the market, um, just for topicals, you know? So you're not going to have a systemic effect from those. They're purely for skin conditions, um, but that's a big area as well. Um, I have seen metered devices as well. So there's little metered um, ap applicators, like kind of like a Ventolin puffer, or a, they look like a disc, some of these, and they'll connect to your iPhone or your smartphone and record how many doses you've taken and how much, and that data can then be shared with your clinician. So there's some high tech features coming into this as well. Um, yeah, lots of different things will be coming in. At the moment in Australia, we don't have um, vaporizer cartridges. Uh, we only have dry herb vaporizers available, which is a good thing because you're not dealing with sometimes problematic solvents. But um, pen cartridge application is very suitable, once again, for people with poor dexterity where you can't actually grind up your cannabis and put it into a vaporizer where mm -hmm. you can just inhale on a pen and the cartridge has got so many milligrams per dose in, involved in that. So, yeah, there's a lot more methods coming to market. And it just depends on the producers to bring them to market for us and present them to the clinicians to, um, to dispense and prescribe. Brilliant. Right. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. I, 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 I think we're both we're basking in the the glow of this this conversation. It was it was so um, incredibly informative. Um, you know, if I have to keep harping on to anyone um, who's still tuned in about liking and subscribing, I mean, seriously, you've just listened to an hour of um, solid gold. So, um, if you are enjoying these ones, do hit like and subscribe, and and we'll keep on um, bringing you all of this um, fantastic wisdom from people like Dr. John Tay. Um, John, thank you so much for for joining us for our Altmed podcast, and we will most certainly be um, looking to have you on again if um, if you're interested. Oh, more more than. No worries at all. And my pleasure for um, having a chat today. I love talking. Yeah. <laughs> That's no problem. And I love, I love people to get real knowledge and real education about this medicine because there's a lot of fallacy out there. There's a lot of lies and um, misinformation that hasn't been, intent well, hasn't been intentionally spread, but it has happened over the last 100 years. And, and we need to change the way people think and, and view this uh, medicine. It's not a dangerous drug. It's a very beneficial medication um, for human beings. Well, hopefully we're um, doing that one podcast at a time. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to have are. you back. Um, so thanks so much for no joining problem. us. Take care and we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. Absolutely. And we'll have, all the links. we'll have all the links to your plant med, health cert and ANZCCP for anybody looking to find out more. So thanks again. Thank Cheers, John. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much.